This is the Life Stances Podcast, and I'm your host, Lori Beeman. In this podcast, we're exploring life stances in a world of religious change. Life stances are what we think about the world, how we live and act within it, and how we relate to other people, other animals, and the environment. With an increasing number of people identifying as non-religious, this podcast explores how religious change impacts society. In the coming months, we'll look at weddings, funerals, palliative care, charitable giving and volunteering, forest burials, and other topics related to the changing religious landscape. I hope you'll join us. What do you want to happen to your body when you die? Many people think about being buried in a casket in a cemetery or being cremated. But as we'll explore in this episode, there are other options and they're becoming more common. How about having your ashes buried in a forest? Or maybe being buried in a green cemetery without a casket and without being embalmed? Or even being composted in your home garden? In this episode, we'll hear about people who want these options for themselves. Most of the history of Western Christianity, casket burial in a churchyard was the only acceptable option, and in some countries, cremation was explicitly prohibited. In the 17 and 1800s, a small number of people who might be described as eccentrics wanted to be cremated, hearkening back to practices of pre-Christian traditions, but these people were a tiny minority. One reason for the slow adoption of cremation was a practical one. How do you create and sustain a fire hot enough to turn a body into ashes? But there were also religious objections rooted in Christian theology. The thinking went that on Judgment Day, your body needed to be intact for the physical resurrection that was to take place. It wasn't until the 1870s when cremation societies sprang up in Europe that things began to change. Technological developments at the time also allowed for furnaces that would efficiently cremate someone's remains. The first modern crematorium in Europe opened in 1876 in Italy. In some countries, cremation remained illegal, or at least taboo, until the 20th century, when it began to find wider acceptance. Today, in many Western countries, the percentage of people preferring cremation is on the rise. In the United Kingdom, for example, almost 80% of people now opt for cremation. This has changed dramatically since 1960, when only about 35% of people chose to be cremated. In Canada, the current rate is 75%, up from 55% in 2007. Different religious traditions have different views of what should happen to the body after death, and we've only briefly touched on Christianity and its history. What happens with the body is filled with considerable religious and social significance. It's a deeply personal decision, but also one that is regulated by social context and the law. As the religious landscape changes, so too do burial practices. In this episode, we'll consider the emerging practice of green burials. Margit Warburg is a professor of sociology at the University of Copenhagen in Denmark, and she has studied the practice of forest burials. In a forest burial, the urn containing a person's ashes is buried under a tree. 
These burials take place on private estates where the owners have asked the Danish Ministry of Ecclesiastical Affairs to permit burials. This is non-consecrated ground and is not connected with the Danish state church. Margaret attended a forest burial so she could get a sense of what the ritual around it looked like. She describes the scene of a burial of a woman in her 60s. She was a non-religious person, and she was extremely uh, leftish, very, very leftish. She was a member of a very small leftish party, well-educated, uh, had two adult daughters with two small children, each one, uh, one in one year, one and a half. So they, they would be late 30s. And uh, there were around 50 attendees to the uh, funeral. Some of them had uh, flowers, some did not. Some had fresh flowers from, you know, not, not from, a, from a florist, but something that picked places that was in November, so it was a bit difficult, but they had some. And then they had, then we sang songs in the middle of the, uh, of the forest, and the urn was present on the stone, and one daughter said something, the other daughter said something, her uh, husband said something, her old friend, close friend from school days, uh, said something, and we sang songs. We sang um, songs about uh, the the forest songs. But one th- song that was extremely interesting was that we song sang internationale. You know that da 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 da. That is a very very communist song, and you have to do like this. Margaret raises her fist, and the last. Uh, uh, song and you have to be extremely communist and it's only old people that uh, uh, do this uh, but we all know it well it's very 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 leftish and red very communist and uh, we and we sang that and there was one man who did that the man raised his fist i'd never seen that before and i've asked later uh, other people then they said when you're very red then you do like this and all the uh, all the talks were about uh, how she had worked against this uh, uh, automobile, uh, the road was too fast, and how she wanted to be more green, and how she wanted to uh, make it another uh, society than we have. And then uh, the daughters took the urn, and we walked to another place in the forest, uh, and we sang a sang, uh, song, Joni Mitchell. Uh, she was 60, uh, uh, 67, she was, yes. And then we walked to another place, and she put the, they put the urn down without saying anything, without doing anything, apart from putting it down. We were all silent. And they, um, they put flowers, and then they put a feminist flag, the red feminist flag. Uh, strong uh, women, you know, she was part of women's lib and uh, liberation and things, and we should be, uh, be equal. And yeah, she had this flag, and that was put on the grave as well. Uh, and of course, two days later, they would not have anything because the forest should be as it always is. But this was part of the uh, ceremonial thing, so so that would be it. Margaret explains that this practice is new, beginning in Denmark in 2008. It's technically the case that people need permission to spread or bury ashes, though of course they don't always actually get that permission. Oh, you have to ask the Ministry of Ecclesiastical Affairs where to uh, put it and when to put it and ask for it and apply for it, even in the sea. And of course people don't. Of course people 
accidentally do it. And that's the same in the forest. Oh, that was grandfather. (laughs) So who decides to have a forest burial? And why do they make that decision? Margaret describes how she started this research and what she found when she asked people about their reasons for their decisions. What I did was uh, during the corona, you know, you couldn't uh, be part of any congregations and things like that. But the uh, for the forest owners, they would um, they would advertise that you could come and have a look at the, the places where you could uh, bury your urn or where your relatives could bury your urn. And then they would want to show people where is it? And then I went down there. <laughs> you had to have, you know, two meters between each other or one meter perhaps. And then we walked around in the forest and, and then they could choose the tree. And then I run, ran after all the people and said, oh, why do you choose this? What, how, what have you thought? What do you think? Are you a member of the Evangelical Lutheran Church? Oh, has this anything to do with the religion? Or what is this? And what do you think about, is it special in Denmark? Or is the far special? And why did you choose this tree? Why not this tree? And and are you religious? Or, or are you a member? Or how do you figure your funeral? Would, what would you do first? Uh, would you, uh, would things like that. And uh, I got, I talked about 50 people, uh, around 50 people. Some were very short conversations, obviously, because I ran after them. But some were longer, sitting on a a bench or a tree or things like that. And they say, they would say, they would say, well, of course, I'm a religious person. I'm a member of the Evangelical Lutheran Church. I, I do believe in God, but I love the forest. And I'm very close to the forest, and we walk there every Sunday, and this has been my home and things like that. And I was surprised about that uh, answer. But the others said, well, I am not a religious person. I have chosen this deliberately because I'm not a member of the Evangelical Lutheran Church. I'm not a religious person. I do not find that there is any superior meaning to life. Uh, I want this because it is uh, outside the, any religious uh, acceptance. And uh, when I counted these 50 people, it would be one third of them that would be non-religious, specifically saying this is because it is a non-religious place. And two thirds actually that said they were members of the Engelkalusen Church. I don't know really what that meant. And some would be spiritual, or what I chose to call spiritual. They would say, well, uh, the forest is uh, is um, close to my heart. The forest is nature. I, I feel close to nature. What else? They said, um, I'm, when, I, when I'm buried close to this tree, then I feel that my spirit would go up in the top of the tree and I can have a look uh, at my husband. And my husband, who is, his ashes uh, were, were put into the fjord and we could sort of wave to each other. Um, or I, I don't know how. but <laughs> uh, so, so she thought that this was, she hated the, the ocean and she loved the forest so they could wave to each other. Some would say... Um, Nature is uh, filled with even spirits and, you know, they would be more spiritual. So what conclusions does Margie draw from her research? Why do people choose forest burials? Well, as I said, there, there are different motives uh, for doing it. Some, some 
I, I asked them, I asked some of them, would you take any forest? And none of them would do that. It is a local thing. It is, uh, they, they want this forest because this is a forest where I walked with my husband when I was uh, young and we fell in love and, or this is a forest where my father has worked as a co uh, as as a person who cut trees, and we love our father, and uh, therefore we'd like to be buried there ourselves. Or this is a forest where we'd go every spring and see all the flowers come along. And I would say uh, the local part is very close to the uh, church thinking, because a local church would also be the ordinary alternative for Danes. You would not take a church far away. You would always take a local church. And I think this is very important for, for forest burials as well. Then, of course, there is a pull and the push factor. You might say the forest itself is really a pull factor. And uh, some of them feel that they, that's very Danish. It has to be special trees. It has to be beach. Danes love beach. We hate um, uh, Christmas trees. We don't like those. Those are for sweets and uh, fins, and uh, that's not for Danes. Danes love beach, and we have tree. We have songs, Danish national songs, about how wonderful beach beaches are. And we love the the water and the fjord. So it would be typical uh, that we would uh, have this tree, the beach trees, close to the fjord. Uh, so that would be feel we would feel that, or many people said that they felt that this was very Danish. And when you look through the Danish um, paintings, uh, romantic paintings, it's quite typical that we have uh, paintings, romantic pa paintings, of, of people walking in the in the woods and uh, and in in the forest and have a dog and have a and have a look. And uh, so it is possible that it is very Danish as well. That would be some of the pull is really that it is that it is the forest itself. Uh, but of course, some is nationalism, some is romanticism, some is uh, localism, some is lots of things. And some and some would be the pull when you're uh, very, uh, we're not non-religious, then this is a possibility for the non-religious people to be buried uh, without any ado. It seems clear that a desire to connect with nature in some way unites all of those who seek out forest burials, whether or not they have spiritual beliefs. The urns that are buried in the forest are biodegradable, although that's also true of burials in churchyards. But with forest burials, there is no upkeep. A small marker on a tree might identify the burial site, but as in the ceremony market witnessed, the flags that were placed by the burial site were removed soon afterward. There's no churchyard, no manicured lawns, no headstones, just the forest. In the graveyards, in the churchyards, then somebody would have to take care of it, put flowers and make a little trees and cut things and put things from, for Christmas and all those things. And this you don't do. You have the forest as it is and nothing is done. The desire to leave a lighter footprint on the earth is an important motivator for those who want a green burial. We spoke with Maria Recchia, an activist on green burials in New Brunswick in Eastern Canada. She describes herself as a spiritual non-Christian Quaker. She's been working with funeral homes and cemeteries to try to introduce 
greener practices around burials in order to make them more environmentally friendly and less polluting. What does this mean exactly? Maria lays out the steps for us. The first one is no embalming. You know, there's a lot of toxic chemicals in embalming fluid that are dangerous to the people doing the work as well as to the earth when it gets buried. And we have this perspective that, you know, there's this beautiful cycle of nature and death and decay is a very important part of it. And without, you know, without death and decay, um, we couldn't live. Uh, the, the world would just fill up with um, all kinds of debris. But we have this beautiful natural cycle of bacteria and fungi breaking down organic matter and liberating the nutrients and so that other plants and animals can um, be nourished by it. And so, so I guess the basic concept is to be a part of this natural cycle. What we've done in modern times with um, the way we do burials, if there's whole body burials, is we're, we're trying to stop that decay uh, and regeneration process with things like embalming or lead lined caskets or cement crypts or all of these things. So we're not allowing our body to touch the soil and decay and break down and become part of this web of life. So, so the first thing, no embalming then we want to be buried directly into the earth. So that means you could be wrapped in a shroud, you could be in a simple wooden casket. There are these beautiful um, caskets made out of woven baskets or leather or all kinds of things. Anything biodegradable that will break down so eventually your body will come in contact with the soil is what we're aiming for. The other thing that people don't think about quite as much is the the markers on the grave. So we often have these cut stone markers that the idea is for them to last as long as possible, which is, you know, great for doing ancestral work to, you know, doing your family tree, seeing where everyone is and that sort of thing. But there are other ways of, of um, keeping that information now. So there's a really interesting movement to change the way we mark burial sites. So instead of having a cut stone that stands up, um, there are some other options like a natural stone, one that's not been cut, that lays more flat, that could be there and there could be some engraving. That can be really nice. There can be a here you know, where I live in New Brunswick, there are lots of glacial erratics, right? These big boulders that just are just sitting there in the woods that the glacier dropped. So there's some really nice uh, grave marking options where you might have a big boulder and you might lay out the graves around the boulder and then engrave people's names and dates on the boulder. So that can be really nice and still natural. And then the final one is actual actually doing forest rest, restoration or ecological restoration let's say here uh, in the maritimes the acadian forest is the uh, the ecosystem 
um, that dominated, that should be dominating, but isn't. So some restoration burial grounds will actually take, let's say, an old field or a clear cut or some kind of degraded land and work to build it back into the Acadian forest. So allowing native species to grow up, planting some native tree species in a very organic kind of pattern. So those are all the different pieces to green burial. And of course, I guess I should say not using any pesticides or herbicides on the land to maintain lawns and that sort of thing, or even even all the fossil fuels that go into mowing. Each place has its own laws and regulations about what burial should look like. You know, you have to have a, a proper cemetery that's designated as a cemetery, and you can't be real close to a body of water, that sort of thing, just to be safe and not pollute and taint water supplies and that sort of thing. But one of the things we're looking at here is something called a family cemetery. So under the Cemeteries Act, there's a there are rules where you can create your own small cemetery just for uh, yourself and your immediate family members or actually any blood relative or relative by adoption or marriage can be in your family cemetery. And that way you could, you do have to get it designated. You have the Department of Health has to come and inspect it. It has to be, you know, officially designated as a burial ground. But it's not too hard to do that compared to starting like a public cemetery. Another practical issue is that without embalming, bodies will decompose quickly. This can make it difficult for family members who live far away to make travel plans to attend the funeral. But, you know, even in talking to the funeral homes here, they all say that they're willing to hold an unembalmed body for definitely seven days, maybe 10 days, depending on the conditions, right? Whether it's the heat of summer or not. So um, I think in general with air travel and all, people can get together in that amount of time to do a proper funeral and burial. A related issue is winter burials in places with a cold climate, as in Canada. Many cemeteries won't do winter burials, and at least in New Brunswick, where Maria lives, there are no facilities to store an unembalmed body over the winter. But the number of cemeteries willing to do winter burials is increasing. Aside from the practical legal issues, Maria notes that funerals are big business and there's an interest in preserving traditions around burial. But when you come down to it, I think the funeral directors in a community, especially rural community, but all communities, they really, they really want to serve their, um, the people in their community. That's, their job is really a job of service. And I think there's a lot of compassion there. So I think what we need is for people to start asking for green burial when they go in to see their funeral director, whether they're pre-planning their own funeral or whether they're, you know, working on the funeral for a loved one who's recently passed. They need to know that green burial is an option and go in and ask for it because the funeral homes have been saying, well, no one's really asking for this. But as Maria notes, public interest in this seems to be growing. I guess this spring, I did a series of public meetings uh, in our county about green burial and had this huge turnout. 
um, for a small place, I was amazed. I thought, well, if, you know, if I can find one or two other people to want to work with me on this, that would be great. And at these three community meetings, we sent around a volunteer sheet for people who wanted to help with it. And I got 20 names, uh, like people who I, a lot of people I knew and I knew would really put some time and energy into it. So, so now we're having meetings and, um, and actually tomorrow I'm meeting, a few of us are meeting with one of the rural cemeteries to talk about some options there. So, so things are unfolding and I, there's just a huge interest, much more um, than I initially thought. So why is this issue of green burials so important for her? Maria mentioned the environmental concerns around traditional casket burials, such as the embalming fluid and the caskets. As she notes, even cremation uses a great deal of fossil fuels to produce sufficient heat to consume the body. But there's also something deeper and more meaningful for her about green burials. I've tried really hard in my adult life to to really live within the cycle of nature. We grow our own food, we eat locally, we raise animals, we don't use any chemicals. I live in a straw bale house because the reason I live in a straw bale house is because when humans are finished with it, it will compost back into the earth and not and not leave pollution in its wake. So it doesn't make sense to me for me to live my life this way, only for my death to be done in a different way. You know, like I, I want to die as I've lived. I want my body to nourish the soil and um, be part of this whole cycle. That feels really important to me. And just because my body is finished or has died, I don't, I don't think there's any reason for my, I don't know, legacy or my spirit or the way I want to live to, um, to change. I want that closure uh, and go back into the earth. So, and I, and I think a lot of people uh, feel that way too. It's a circle and it's important to close up the circle and not live and then have this the, the last thing in your life be something that uh, contradicts the way you've lived. And what does Maria hope happens to her body when she dies? I guess what I want is I would like to die at home if I mean if I'm ill and have a you know prolonged illness. I would like to have a home funeral. So that is this um, really beautiful, ancient practice of the family caring for the bodies of their loved ones who have died. So keeping, you know, keeping the body at home, on ice, um, allowing family, friends, the community to come in and visit and then together burying me, maybe under the apple tree in our field, if we get a, a home cemetery or a family cemetery here, or maybe in, I'm hoping, um, a public community green burial ground, if we can ever get that established here. And I want um, the people who love me to have the opportunity to sit with my body after I've died um, because I, I really 
I've done this now with a few families and it's a profound, precious experience to not only to accompany people in the time of death, but to sit with their body after death. And it, it becomes very clear that the spirit of the person is no longer in that body. And I, I believe it really helps in the grieving process in the letting go. And, and to be able to participate in caring for the body for those that day or two, and then to participate in the actual burying. I think it's a very healing, intimate, and loving process. And so that's what I want. Of course, caring for the body is not new and not religion-specific. Likewise, as Margit found, green burials and the accompanying death rituals often blend old and new practices. But there are other alternatives as well. Another possibility comes from Christian Lomstelen, the president of the Norwegian Humanist Association. Like Maria, he is interested in alternatives to traditional casket burial. What does he want for his body after his death? When I die, uh, I would like my body to be composed to be decomposed into earth and, well, nutrients, and then replaced back into my uh, garden as soil in the garden. So I would like to be uh, reunited with my garden when I die. So would that be at his own garden, at his house? Preferably. <laughs> that would uh, necessitate that I would need to actually still own the garden when I die, and that my children would like to keep... Uh, living there and so on. But yes, uh, if I can, I would like to be part of my own garden. Otherwise, I would like to become part of a forest or close to the cabin in the mountains or something, but preferably in my own personal backyard. And would there be any sign of him in the garden? No, no signs. It it can be. I could be. They could put up a plaque on the tree. Uh, I have delicious plums in my garden. Uh, and on that tree, and we have buried the cats and uh, guinea pigs and all the rest of it is buried uh, uh, besides the tree. And well, I could put up, they, or I could not, my family could put up a plaque on, with my name on the tree. But at the same time, I really don't feel any need for it. Uh, preferably, I really do like the British tradition of building park benches in memory of people. Maybe they could put up a park, park bench in the garden with my name on it, but probably someone will have moved in and removed the plaque and maybe they've tossed out the bench. And... How does composting work exactly? You know, when you have the cremations, you take the body to a place and it's getting cremated there and then you take the ashes out of there to be uh, buried or spread or what you want to do with the ashes. The same idea actually is possible to do with the human body that it will be composed in uh, in a central location in a building that is uh, especially made for this and it will be possible to extract some amount of uh, well the rest of me preferably uh, or at an amount that is comparable to what i would have left behind and then for it to be possible to uh, decompose in the most rapid manner so that I can be extracted from there as dirt. 
As with Maria's advocacy for green burials in New Brunswick, there are practical and legal issues with composting in Norway. While facilities exist in Oregon in the United States, Christian doesn't know of any other places where this is done. What's more, the law in Norway doesn't presently allow this option. Hopefully I will not die until I'm at least 70 or even 80 or 90, if I look at my grandparents. So hopefully I have time to change the Norwegian burial law so that I can be recomposed uh, when I die. But at the, at the moment, it's not legal here in Norway. Uh, at the moment, there is uh, the need for the Norwegian former state church to go in and apply for, to have tryouts and projects to test new methods and new technology for uh, burials. Uh, but at the moment, we have not succeeded in uh, convincing the Norwegian former state church to uh, do such a trial with recomposting. As Christian explains, local municipal burial authorities are often one and the same as the church in Norway. And so changing this situation is a big part of Christian's advocacy. At the moment, the biggest fight in this uh, struggle to change the Norwegian law is to wrest administration of the burial in the municipalities from the church to the municipality itself because we believe that it's much easier and well it's principally the right thing to do that it's a common municipal task and it should be done by the municipality not by the one of the religious organizations in the area at the same time one of the burial administrations that do want to try out new technology is one of those that belong to the Norwegian church. So it's quite personal dependent. What they want to try out is the water cremation. Water cremation isn't the option Christian wants for himself. But what is water cremation exactly? Water cremation is a technology where uh, the body is put into a chamber, which high pressure chamber with lye and water and is basically boiled in lye, where it's just mush or water or brown water. Uh, and you could then put that out in your garden somewhere, or you could flush it down the toilet, or you could put it in a bowl, or you could do whatever you would like with it. This is a very proven method. Criminals have been doing this for uh, several years. <laughs> uh, so it works. Uh, but it will be more efficient if it's put into a hype uh, into a pressure chamber and be and then you can lower the energy cost and you can be more sure of the outcome and it can be cleaner for the people working there and so on and so forth. So it's a high pressure chamber, lie and the body and it dissolves the body. And this is also cheaper than establishing a full on crema crematorium. As with Maria, there is a mix of support and opposition to his wishes. But a big part of the resistance seems to be that people don't always realize there could be other options beyond just traditional casket burials or cremations. Some people understand the principle that I would like to have other ways than cremation and casket burial uh, and agree with me on that, but just not agree with the chosen method. <laughs> Others have ridiculed me for having something out of the box of an idea for uh, what I would like to do with my body when I'm dead. 
Others think that it sounds rather gross, that they are not accustomed to the idea and that they would not like to eat something that has grown from earth that comes from a dead body. At the same time, most of what we eat comes from dead bodies all the time. So it should be a... It's not a, such a novel idea. I think that the main uh, obstacle to this is people getting used to other ways of treating dead bodies. So if we can open up uh, the possibilities of different ways of uh, handling these dead bodies, it will probably uh, make the room bigger and make the technology aspect of this bigger. And we see this also when it comes to the water cremations, that they are also uh, partly ridiculed, partly people think it's gross, and some are really enthusiastic about the idea of new technologies. So it's mainly the same reactions. So we need to be accustomed to uh, the fact that our kinds of burial, uh, casket burial and cremations, are just two cultural normative way ways of doing burials and we need to be able to do this in other manners that the rules that apply to that you apply to yourself does not need to apply to me and we can be able to do things differently because i would not like to take away the possibility of someone to be cremated or to do a casket burial i would just like other options as well but similar to maria's advocacy Speaking up about this issue has led others to consider these alternatives. What I find really interesting is that every time I talk about this in public, when we when I do a newspaper interview or when I talk about this online or in lectures or in other kinds of ways, uh, some people get really enthusiastic about the possibility to be become part of the circle of life again uh, and sends me emails tells me that this should be possible already and that uh, we need these changes. People leave Facebook comments about the same thing. So I'm not sure if it's a big movement. I really don't believe so. <laughs> but at least there are a lot of people that would like something else, something more, something different than cremation and casket burials. Finally, we asked Christian why he finds this idea so meaningful. I was 10 years old when the movie The Lion King came out. <laughs> and in that movie, they sing about the circle of life. And I do find it problematic that when I die, I do not return to the circle of life. Uh, because I'm then uh, buried too deep in a graveyard or I'm cremated and just becoming ashes. And both of these things are okay, they, they get rid of my body in a suitable manner, you can say, but at the same time, we do not have the space for graveyards in, that are so large that as we need. Uh, in Norway, we do not have any concrete, and it's over time, the bodies and the caskets will mostly be dissolved into earth, but it's too deep for the uh, plants to use these nutrients. So that is problematic. Uh, and the CO2 emissions from uh, having the cremations and energy put into the cremations seems to be wasteful to me. So I would like to be returned to the circle of life in the most sustainable way possible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
and to be able to contribute to the earth even when I'm dead. So hopefully I'm not too full of heavy metals or something to... They should take out my piercings first, at least. So far on the Life Stances podcast, we've been exploring how the rise of non-religion is reshaping rituals and traditions. This change is opening the way to reconsidering what we do with our bodies after death, but also our relationship to nature. Rather than thinking of ourselves as separate from nature, or even above nature, we've heard how people want to see their deaths as taking place within this larger circle of nature. A circle of birth, life, and death. On a practical level, this can take the shape of being concerned about the environmental impact of traditional burials, like the chemicals used in embalming or the fossil fuels used in cremation. But there's also a deeper level of wanting to see death not as something to be resisted at all costs, but simply as one point in the natural circle of life. (laughs) 